you can't physically put yourself in another person's shoes. So a lot of times you just got to let them speak from their point of view. It's basically just to say it's okay to think that way. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not okay to think that way. The way you think and the way you feel is the way you think and feel, period. there my name is sean and this is suicide noted on this podcast i talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories every year around the world millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it and when we do talk about it many of us including me aren't very good at it so one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors. And special thanks to all the attempt survivors who have joined me since we launched in July of 2020. And of course, to everybody who listens, I really, really appreciate it. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And please keep in mind, we are talking about suicide. So this may not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you'd like to help us out, well, keep doing what you're doing. Listen to this podcast every Monday or whenever you do. Let people know about it. Share it on social media. I'll include a link if you'd like to make a financial contribution. And of course, I know I say this a lot, rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple, it helps people find it. And I think there are people that need to find it. Today, I am talking with Will. Will lives in Virginia and he is a suicide attempt survivor. What's up, man? What's going on, man? So I remember you reached out. I, I got an email from you. You had mentioned how this podcast was helping you through sobriety. So I think that's a good starting point. Like what, what was that like for you? What was going on? Coming off a lot of stuff, like a really tragic motorcycle accident, losing a career. You know, times are hard, had a lot of back pain, body pain, stuff like that. Accident was really bad. Uh, fractured vertebrae, fractured ribs. It was a motorcycle versus car thing. Yeah, it put me down physically and mentally. You really don't realize how bad mentally until afterwards. But uh, I was taking pain pills for the pain. I actually kind of got away from them for a little bit and then realized that it was really hard to work out. It was really hard to do physical therapy and stuff like that. So I kind of got back on them. That old chestnut of, you know, you kind of get stuck with them, you get stuck with them, and then it just kind of spirals out of control is what pretty much happened. You're talking about opioids? Yes. I have heard that story, man. Mm. So you were addicted to, what was it? Uh, Painkillers. That's got to be a beast. Uh, It definitely is, uh, especially, you know, I fall into the age bracket, at least at the time of, you know, you're, you're too young to, you know, be in this kind of pain management, but you're too old for the surgery, you know, that kind of thing. It was... They were like, you're just going to have to heal up and deal with it. It's basically what you're told. But, you know, this is at the height of, you know, the epidemic becoming a mainstream thing. So, I mean, I would have done the same thing. I'd have taken those drugs for sure. If I'm in pain, you can't. Oh, come on. Yeah. And if you can't get them from the doctor, you go and get them from the street. And then the next thing you know, you oh, yeah. don't have any money left. So, yeah. And the street is dangerous, right? The drugs are, you don't know. I don't know that much about it. From what I do know, I don't know if pharmaceutical companies were that concerned about how dangerous they were either, but that's perhaps a different conversation. But certainly the street and fentanyl and all that, yeah, it's killing people all the time. Uh, I'm glad you survived that. Yeah, uh, eight months clean now, so. That's amazing, man. And have you done that with the, in a group? 
Uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been dealing with this place called uh, it's Groups Recover Together. Uh, they're mostly here on the East Coast, mostly Western Virginia um, based, but they've slowly spread east, and I think they're going south too. So they might be headed your way. Yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty good. It's one of those things where you kind of develop from a you know a bystander that kind of listens in. It's very much the way you see with people like AA. You know, they kind of come in quiet at first, and they open up, and then the next thing you know, they kind of lean more towards the leader or the more outspoken people in the group. So. And what was the career that you were in? I was actually in construction. I was working for a trailer company, basically doing anything, electrical, HVAC, plumbing, the whole nine. We would basically tear trailers down to their skeletons and refurbish them for larger offices, like remote real, remote real estate offices, stuff like that. You know, basically full modular things. So there wasn't much in the construction field I hadn't been in, especially since a childhood. But yeah, 2008 rolled around and, you know, everybody was getting laid off because of the economy. So I was kind of on the downslope there, tried to get a job, uh, ended up getting a job as a maintenance guy at a hotel, was really close, got into motorcycles, and that's around the time the accident had happened, and then everything kind of went downhill. I couldn't work because all my work was basically physically fit stuff, fixing, you you name it, I just couldn't do it, you know, with a broken back, so. Now, how long were you in the sort of throes of dealing with the pain and then and the pills? How long did that go on for? The pain and the pills went on for... If you're counting from as early as I can remember, about 10 years. Damn. Yeah, right up until early May of this past year. The 2010s, essentially. Yeah, basically around yeah 2009, 2010, up until about now. Most people do not find this podcast by accident. Basically, it was sobriety was kind of an eye-opening you know, situation because I'm the type that I kind of can't leave well enough alone. It's one of those, if it ain't broke, I'm going to fix it anyways kind of scenarios. But if I do find something broke, it's a matter of going through it. So it was, I explained to my therapist now, it's kind of like if you're shopping a house, you know, you go to therapy, you talk to groups and stuff like that. And you realize that's kind of like the walkthrough of the house. All right, I've seen the kitchen. I've seen the bathroom. I know what the property looks like. You know, now it's inspection time. I want to go into the attic, the basement and figure out, you know, if there's anything wrong with the house. Why does it look like it's leaning? You know, all this other stuff. So it kind of led me down the road of rumination, of Mm. understanding what rumination was and what ideation was and how long I'd actually been doing it. And, you know, sitting down through writing in my journal, you know, talking to people, it started to suss back to my teenage years. And of course, right around the time of sobriety is when stuff was getting really wrong. old thoughts and stuff like that, that I used to have that I kind of suppress and just write off as, you know, everybody thinks this way, you know, because mm. anytime you talk to friends, they'll say, oh, everybody's kind of had thoughts like that. Um, I was trying to find this transition between, you know, was it just a thought or was it something I was actually planning out? Was it something, you know, that I was serious about or if it was just a contemplation and it, I realized it went well beyond contemplation. Right. Not just sort of an existential question about our purpose or being alive. So it goes back to your teenage years where you ideated, you thought about suicide. Yeah. And would you think about how, how detailed did that get? It always leaned more towards the, you know, the world would be better off. Not so much, you know, I can't take it anymore or, you know, if anything was really bothering me, there really weren't too many problems I couldn't handle that would come along. But that easy way out was always an option. Mm-hmm. And I realized that over the years, I kind of leaned on it. Hey, you know, if all else fails, you can always do this. And, and does that still happen? Oh, yeah. So we're talking more than two decades. Oh, yeah. Did you ever try? Uh, I, I can't really say that I've tried. I've been close enough to the point where... Um, I've had a firearm in my hand. Mm. Um, it's more of one of those, man, you know, I could take care of all of it right now. Mm-hmm. Scenario. So do you remember what stopped you? 
from pulling the trigger? This incessant need to, I can't really put a label on it, but I explain to people, it's almost like a, I describe it as a selfish selflessness, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. What do you mean? You know, I've got like this weird, I've actually kind of identified it as almost an addiction to other people, you know, like, hey, to me, you know, I'm addicted to doing nice things for other people. It's almost like that instant gratification of, hey, you know, I put some good out in the world. A good example is just yesterday, I was on the interstate, was on the way to a job. I actually work for myself now. So construction-based stuff, maintenance things, big four by four log laying in the middle of the street. Two people have already hit it. They got flat tires. I pull over and proceed to walk down the side of the interstate. There's cars probably three or four foot away from me. And Mm. I'm not thinking about the danger aspect of it. I'm just thinking of, hey, I'm going to get out in the street and get this danger away from everybody else. And I did that. Got back in my truck and moseyed on down the street. Didn't think anything of it. But when I say something about it to my girlfriend, she was like, you're going to widow me before we even get married. (laughs) Help me understand. How does that, I I think this kind of connects back to the original thing about ideating or staying alive. What's the link there? I missed it. Living for other people. I guess, you know, kind of weighing your usefulness with your lack of usefulness, I guess, as long as I find that, you know, there's a reason for me to be here, then I'll stay here. I, I wonder if that tends to be a little bit more common in men. And I don't know the answer, it's sort of the utility thing. You need to be needed. And I imagine it's a human need, but I wonder. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is from a physical standpoint, whereas in, you know, from a female standpoint, it's probably more emotionally. Maybe so. So decades of ideating to different degrees came very, very close. It sounds like you could have easily been dead. When I, I'm thinking at more from the, the, the drug addiction than even the ideating and what that could have led to, but I guess they all overlap. Upon this, you know, this kind of journey through sobriety is that I realized um, I used to describe the opiate thing as I'm like, you know, it isn't an addiction. It's more of a dependence. And on paper, it, it definitely looks that way, even though those two kind of go hand in hand. Because at any given moment, you know, I wanted to leave it. It's like, if I could do without it, I'd do without it. Mm -hmm. If I could do without it, I could do without it. But there was always an excuse to say, you know, man, this makes me an asshole. Or I turn in, I get really, really sick. I can't do anything. You know, I can't function. I don't want to live through the sickness part of it. I'm just going to keep going. It comes back to, like, I had, my excuse was other people. And I just didn't care about, you know, the physical detriment it had on me, the, you know, the risk that was involved in, you know, trying to find them or buy them or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it was, it didn't occur to me much like that kind of interstate example that I gave, you know, the danger didn't process to me. Oh, okay. Well, I knew it was there, but if it happens, oh, cool. Well, that's two birds with one stone. Mm. You got clean in May of 2021. Yes. Early May. Eight months. You reached out to me much more recently, which means you were probably looking for something. What were you looking for when you found the podcast? I've actually, I've heard everything. I've listened to every single one of the podcasts via Spotify. I don't know if there's more on YouTube or anything like that, but I've listened to every one of them from the start. I've listened to a couple of them two or three times. Wow. Um, But yeah, basically on this whole, if I'm by myself, you can probably bet I was probably listening to the podcast. So while I was at work or uh, if I'm riding along in the truck or something like that, or maybe I'm just sitting outside having a cigarette, you know, I was probably had the podcast on. And it was more from a relative standpoint because you find yourself, you can't really talk to other people about it because you you walk this tightrope of fear. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to turn this person away from me? Is this person going to process it as though I'm on the ledge where maybe at the moment I'm not or... Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a plan in your head and you're like, man, I really don't want to give that up. And I'm asking, yeah, and it's, it's not like an ego thing. I'm just really curious. Why do people listen? 
I want to know. I want to understand. Does anybody know about how close you came? And I'm thinking of that one instance with the gun, but there may have been others. Yeah, um, my current girlfriend, for sure. She's she's kind of been privy to the majority of the transformative part of the sobriety. She kind of came back into a picture. She was she was an old middle school friend. Uh, you know, we've been friends for pretty much our entire adult life. She kind of reached out to me when she heard about the sobriety thing. And of course, you know, rumor spread. The rumor was, you know, I was homeless. I was living in my truck, this, that, and the third. So she kind of reached out to me. I explained to her, I said, no, I said, I'm working out of my truck and I've got a place to live. But um, yeah, stuff isn't that great. We kind of caught up. And from then on, you know, things kind of hit it off. She explained her uh, situation with sobriety as well. And I, I can't say I've ever met a person more supportive in my life uh, mm. up until this point anyways. And hopefully she'll be the most supportive one for the rest of it. But As I've done this for now a year and a half or so, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways I have and it's so simple and almost trite sounding that like one person can make such a big difference. Yeah. Just, so, and I guess a lot of people know that already. It's not some original idea I came up with here, of course, but just reminded of like, yep, one person. Does she know that you listen to the podcast? Oh yeah. So she, you know, there's no secrets there. Yeah. Nothing, nothing here. And that's, that's one of the better things about the relationship is there really is no secret. You know, she knows my past. From either you know being involved when things happened or me explaining things in the afterlight of it. But like you said, I mean, you're still there, you still got to keep that very tight. The number of people who know about some of the stuff you've thought about, or how close you came, or the fact that you find some solace or comfort in listening to people share their stories about suicide. Like you're not telling a lot of people that. I know the information you're looking for is why people listen, and you can pretty much bet that's what it is. It's mm. it's from a relative standpoint. Um, mm. You could come in from any perspective. Like I guess my perspective was I don't know what made me search it. I was just like, let me let me listen to something related to it. Let me see what comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's you know a couple. You know, there might be one podcast that isn't dedicated to it. Maybe has an episode, and it might speak to an expert or something like that. But then I saw Suicide Noted. I was like, well, you know, this is real people. Um, right. I'm the type that likes to figure things out on my own. Um, I really, if I can avoid getting somebody else involved, I'd rather wrap my brain around it first before and get to the point of, I absolutely can't figure it out. And then, you know, uh, and just listening to it, you know, I came into it with, I don't want to say an open mind, but I wouldn't say a closed mind either. It was just, I was, I wanted to hear other stories and I haven't left it, but I came, what I got from it was there's a lot of relative stuff in there, you know, some person on the other side of the world in Germany, you know, feels the same way that I did at any given moment. Sure. You know, he might have the best life in the world, but still feel like, you know, he's not meant for. Mm. You, you beat your addiction, which I imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, is probably going to be a sort of lifelong battle. Uh, the, the strange thing about it is, is it's everyone that kind of gets to this point will tell you, oh yeah, I've got it under control. It's not a problem. And it's, it's hard to explain. I've even had to almost argue with therapists and say, you know, I've got to this point where I've shut it out. Mm. It, I recognize that time has happened, but I, it just doesn't ring as an option anymore. Like if I wake up in the morning in pain, I'm like, oh, well, I hurt today, you know, mm. whatever. And then I just keep moving. It's there's literally no link there anymore. And I think because I guess my sobriety has been this emotional dig into my head. It's just that I've gone so deep that I've left that behind. Mm-hmm. See, it's literally the only way that I can explain it. Um, so a lot of times I've like recently I came across a new therapist because I, I basically run out of how many sessions I could have with the last one or something to that effect. 
and actually had to argue with her. I said, look, we've had three sessions talking about my sobriety. You know, I've, I'm there. I'm past that point. And I gave her that house example of, look, somebody else already showed me the kitchen. I'm mm-hmm. trying to, it's inspection time. Like mm-hmm. I want to get in there and see, you know, what made me feel opiates were the way to go. That that was the bandaid I needed to keep me out of this mental space of, you know, thinking I'm not good enough for the world or I'm ready to leave it or any, anything that. Mm. Uh, why do I think that was an option when I know it couldn't be long-term I, and I know it was detrimental to my health. Like that's what I want to get to. So the example, I guess, is that I try to explain I'm, I'm, I'm a little more advanced. It's like, if you take your car to the mechanic and you're a mechanic yourself, you're like, Hey, look, I just don't have the time to fix it. This is what's wrong. Can you lead me down that path? And then they turn around and reverberate to you the stuff you already know. You're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Remember, you and I talked and I told you all of this. <laughs> You're just repeating it back to me. Uh, yeah. I need you to go on to the next step and, and get to that point. Crazy. I like these analogies of the house and the mechanic, man. Those are easy to visualize. It's easier to put in layman's term. And, mm. and I guess that's a relative thing when it comes to your show. You can sit there and listen to an expert all day long and try to apply what they're talking about to your own problem. But until you hear somebody else reverberate that same issue, there is no relation. Being able to relate to the people that you talk to. I can't, I can't thank you enough, man. It's, it's an awesome show for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Try and appreciate that. So you, are you still in pain regularly? Oh yeah. I work out occasionally. It's kind of slacked off now that the holidays are here. Um, An old friend of mine is actually a personal trainer and myself and the girlfriend, we all went to school together. I actually grew up with him through most of my childhood. We've known each other since we were four or five years old. So I normally go over there, work out the, it's basically like my own physical therapy. I keep stretched, mm-hmm. kind of keep better in shape. It, and you kind of get used to the minor aches and pains, but um, you learn to live with it. So it's, it's still there. And it, you'd be surprised the correlation between physical and mental pain. The physical pain can put you in the mental dumps, you know, for the entire day, you know, and you may not even mm-hmm. have anything planned. The, the nicest thing in the world, you know, you could be going to an amusement park with your family members and all of a sudden it's a miserable day because you're in pain. Well, now that you're not, you're not taking painkillers, what helps the pain? Or is it just nothing helps the pain, but you just deal with it in a different way? That's pretty much it. I've learned to have to lean on the mental aspect of it. And I think that's why sobriety was a good jump off um, to kind of dig in those coffers to say, you know, what I'm doing right now is, is working. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's helping the physical pain. I'm not really, I'm in the best shape of my life, even though I chain smoke. <laughs> So it's kind of the most ironic thing in the world, but you're, you're like, wow, you know, I, I could have done this before. What made me not go this route before? What made me take the easy way out, so to speak? And that easy way out through opiates, to me, is almost a mirror easy way out of excuse to not be in the world anymore. Like, if I can figure that out, then I know what puts me in that mindset, and I'll never have to be in that mindset again. Mm. Well, you've heard the podcast as much as anybody, it sounds like. So, you know, I ask certain questions. One of the questions I always ask is around the, uh, around myths, right? The bullshit stuff that you're like, nope, whether that's related to suicide or ideation or addiction. Do you have any that you want, any, any myths you want to dispel? Well, the first one, when it comes to addiction is that somebody can't already have it mentally licked in their head. People say all the time, you know, you don't want to quit until you want to quit. They have to want to quit. They've got to want to do it. You know, they've got to need to do it or something like that. And even then they act as though it's like this huge battle. Well, the folks that are still battling with it are those that don't want to quit. They're still in the, I don't want to, but they have because they needed to. Basically, maybe it was affecting their family life or their job or something to that effect. And they just recognized even in the little moments of clarity that they needed to 
stop. But the, it it's almost like it's forced. Whereas in my situation, I feel it from a true want. Like, I don't want that anymore. I want this again. I used to be this person. Why can't I be that person again? That, that makes no sense to me. There is a breaking point when it comes to sobriety where a person can stay completely clean. And just from others looking in, if, if somebody looks at you and you can tell, you know, they're giving you the truth. Uh, that's where the myth would lie is to think that, you know, you have to live in recovery your the rest of your life. Yes, you are technically in recovery, but that doesn't mean you could go back in any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, right after becoming sober, I worked for guys that had drugs in their face all morning. And I could stand mm-hmm. right there in the in the room with them and it never crossed my mind, you know, to even go that route. I'm like, all right, that works for you. Cool. I wonder if some of that's influenced by the 12 step model. The idea that like you are never not an addict, right? Yeah, that's something too, you know, if we're talking about myths and bullshit, I've kind of studied the 12 step model and a lot of it seems repetitive to me. Uh, It seems like it just kind of keeps you in this loop of being an honest person, not abusing the substance that you're on. I see where it's useful to other people, but I look at it and I'm like, this is just a list of things to do every day, like make your bed, take a shower. It's just something for you to stick to. And if you can't stick to that list, then you're not going to be able to stick to your sobriety. So I see it almost as a, like too simple. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I know it works for people and that's what they need. They just need a guideline or a guidebook to live by. And that's awesome. That's great. It, it works for them. Uh, it wouldn't work for me because I would just see it as an annoyance. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you will, there will ever come a point in your life where you essentially stop ideating? That I don't know. If I had to make an honest assessment, I would say no. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would probably never stop. At best, it might drop into the existential realm, kind of like you were talking like, oh, well, you know, what does happen if I die? And then, you know, mm-hmm. you go out of will and testament and you make sure you're insured and stuff like that. But from the standpoint of people who actually ideate suicide or plan it or have something already in the works, I don't think it ever goes away. Mm-hmm. And thinking of that, it almost makes me seem kind of hypocritical when it comes to the recovery aspect of it. Like, you know, that addiction never goes away. This isn't really processed as an addiction or something fun. It's a solution, you know, to Mm -hmm. a temporary problem, which is what a lot of people say, but the problem isn't always temporary. Right. Or it's, or depending on how you define temporary, it could be like a lifetime, which is temporary, but it's really fucking long. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. If there are people listening that are ideating or contemplating or whatever, whatever they're dealing with, do you think there's anything you can say that actually might help them? Or are we just, is it just empty words to actually say whoever you are out there, you know, fill in the blank with advice or you think it's all a bunch of bullshit? I wouldn't really say it's a bunch of bullshit when somebody says, Hey, I've been there. And they've heard stories of that person actually being there saying I've been there. And then just walking away is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Actually telling your story or saying, hey, you know, this is where my mind is. When even if you don't feel like it's that important or it's that, if it even fits the grand scheme of things, you know, tell the story. Tell somebody you love one. T- tell somebody you love. Tell somebody you care about. Don't be incredibly afraid of the reaction or, you know, how they would maybe take it. Most people, especially those who ideate, are pretty good at sniffing out bullshit. I think so. When it, when it comes to that, it's don't be afraid to talk about it. That's the biggest thing. And that was my biggest hurdle is just, I kept it all inward, kept it to myself, didn't bother talking to anybody about it and realizing, you know, like listening to the podcast, hearing people talk about it and explain their stories, you know, put me in a mindset of, 
kit. You know, I heard this person that's incredibly down on their luck that says they just ideate sometimes to this guy who's got the perfect life lined up. It says he's still got a plan and he might do it tomorrow. You, you can basically see all aspects of it by talking about it. And if your story gets out there, your story gets passed along. The next thing you know, you don't know who it's going to help. And it doesn't mm. have to be a podcast. You can just tell your friend and then your friend passes along at the bar. Mm. And the next thing you know, they've got a story about this person that was well off, that was thinking the same way they were and said, wow, you know, there's only one way out of this and it's a bad way or for me to figure it out. But when you, you know, when you essentially didn't tell people or told very few people, I mean, there's reasons for that. It wasn't just, I'm going to be loose with my words here, mental illness, or it wasn't just addiction. People don't respond well often. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not just this thing. It's based on a real, real experiences where that they, they you learn very quickly. Oh, I'm gonna not say that much. Yeah, and because you're always worried about the reaction, and and this probably just comes from my own personality. You know, I can't speak for how other people feel. Even before addiction, I was a type that really didn't have a problem saying what was on my mind. Mm-hmm. And if somebody didn't like it, or if that put them out of my life, you know, good riddance. Maybe that was a bad way to look at it, but. A lot of people will ask for the real you or they'll want, you know, they'll want you to be 100% honest and then they hear something they don't want to hear. They tend to make their own decision about you. And a lot of times that kind of susses itself out, if that makes sense. And I think that's probably my point of view on it is that, you know, of course, pick who you talk to wisely. Don't just go tell, you know, the guy down at the, you know, the convenience store about what's going on in your life. But if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, talk to them. That would be the only thing that I could say was surefire non-bullshit. Because even myself trying to get over that, when I finally got to that point of actually talking to somebody about it, it's just like a weight was lifted. Well, I'm going to flip that for a second. If somebody comes to you and talks to you or shares with you about this type of stuff, these struggles, how would you engage with them? Because presumably you don't want them to feel the way you've felt before and I've felt before. What this is sort of what what do you say or do or not say or not do? Well, the first thing that I would do is kind of assess the situation of where I was, you know, who was present, what's going on, you know, are we at a bar? Are they drinking? You know, did it seem inebriated? Do they have an addiction problem or something like that? And I would say, hey, you know, right now, drop what I'm doing. I was like, let's let's go stand somewhere private, let's go somewhere that's quiet. Um, let's go get your head straight first and then talk about it. I'm not trying to dismiss you. I want to, I really want to hear about this. And then immediately, if I can relate in the situation, relate, but above all else, stop and listen. Because, mm-hmm. of course, just like you hear on your show a lot of times, which has been one of the better things that I've heard is just shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> that's my line. Yeah, that's your line. So basically, I that's what I would do is I would assess the situation like of things tangible, you know, right there in the moment and say, come somewhere where everybody's going to shut the fuck up. Mm, man, Woo. invite me there, too. I mean, come there are on. places to find, but you can find them sometimes. So your girlfriend, are you going to marry her? We've talked about it. That's a long ways off. Not something that's going to happen overnight, but uh, who knows? An engagement may not be too far off. Is life different now that you're clean and have somebody who's nice to hang out with? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's hard to explain without a little bit of backstory, but, you know, people in my group or therapists will say, oh, you know, two people who are in sobriety at the same time is a bad mix. Uh, you don't want to do that. I I have to disagree. Um, mm. As long as you're 100 honest with each other, you know her her sobriety leans from alcoholism. Mine actually leans from opiate addiction. So we're coming from two sides of the same world, if that makes sense. And we understand where the other person is coming from. Like, yo, are you thinking about it? 
Like, hey, I, I know where your brain's going right now. You can kind of interject before the problem even arises. Uh, and you don't have to do it in a condescending way. You don't have to do it in a parental way. It's just a, hey, let's go watch a movie real quick, you know, or something like that. You you know how to disperse the situation and kind of help it out without actually having to come out and say it. You've got an idea. You, you've been in that other person's shoes, so to speak. Totally. How many kids do you have? I have two. So you're a father. Yes. And a boyfriend. And uh, I don't know what, I, I'll say survivor. That includes... The ideation and the drugs, that's sort of, that's the word I use. Yeah. We're not that far from each other. A few hours. I'm in North Carolina. Uh, no one gives a shit. <laughs> is there an other, is there another reason, an underlying reason that you wanted to uh, to join me here? That's not a loaded question. I'm just always wondering, like, you wanted to get it out. Like, well, well, yeah, what was the, what were the real reasons, the main reasons why you wanted to talk about it? And of course, you know, some people will hear it, right? When it goes out into the world. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you recall the first email or not, but I noticed that you had actually told your story. Mm. And I noticed that, you know, you were getting short on stories. You had actually mentioned it. You said, hey, you know, some people speak up. And yep. that same character in me that makes me want to help other people says, who the hell am I? If I can hear all these other people's stories, why can't, you know, I at least share on mine a little bit or come in at least give the show some praise and let them know, you know, how, how much is help. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the least I could do, you know. Cool. If I'm not giving money on Patreon or something like that, I can at least show my face on here. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's what, that's what brought me in was basically helping you. you Thank know, you. you. You've helped me and many other people. Uh, and if we can get another show on uh, and get some more info out, that'll actually be relative to somebody else in the world. Then I'm all about it. And you will also help other people too. So it's, it, it's a nice thing. Oh yeah. You help me. I help you. We help them. But One big <laughs> sad help fest. Oh, yeah, one big right. shut the fuck up fest yeah that's what it is a bunch of people talking that know how to shut the fuck up they just haven't try it, yeah <laughs> is is there uh, i'm sure there's always more to one story that i know for sure but are there other things to the uh to the will story you want to share with me and thereby whoever hears this I don't want to be that person that says you know no matter what no matter how bad it gets you know don't go down it's you know we're back on the line of bullshit again Mm -hmm. uh, the way you feel is the way you feel. Don't let anybody in your life tell you, you know, you're a coward for thinking that way. Don't let anybody tell you that, you know, the solution you see in your head to this temporary problem. It's just like you said, that temporary problem might be for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. You can't physically put yourself in another person's shoes. So a lot of times you just got to let them speak from their point of view. It's one of those things where it's, it's so self-driven that it's basically just to say it's okay to think that way. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not okay to think that way. The way you think and the way you feel is the way you think and feel, period. Mm -hmm. Now, if it goes against, you know, somebody else's truth, okay, great, cool. That's their truth and this is yours. Keep living life to the best of your ability. If you choose to end it or you think that's the best way out, there's really nothing else to say. I mean, you can't. It's one of those things that you don't really want to talk somebody out of because you, you hear it all the time from that standpoint. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, you've got so much to live for. Like, you think none of this stuff has ever crossed my mind. I just forget all about yeah. it. And nobody else has ever, nobody else has ever told me that, right? Exactly. And it, it comes down to condescension. And it's like, I'm not an idiot. Yep. The person you're talking to isn't dumb and they aren't necessarily mentally unstable or like you were saying, have, you know, mental issues or something like that. They're, I mean, I'm sure it stems from mental issues, but not something that's clinically diagnosable. It's just things they have going on right. in their life. 
there's a small percentage of people that are de- dealing with sort of something really extreme, uh, bipolar episode or paranoid schizophrenia, where it's a difficult dynamic to engage. But most people aren't that. And, I, and that's not to slight anybody who is going through that at all. But, but most people are just they can like you're saying, like they know when you're offering some bullshit or patronizing or some platitudes and you're will you're not willing to hang out and talk or listen and you're just gonna come on get out of here get out of here with that and i think that's what comes back to the when i say don't be afraid to talk because those people will show themselves immediately they'll they'll do it immediately so it's it's one of those things where if you do kind of speak out on it and you start to share your story and you get that you know that that person isn't really going to give a shit about what you have to say and it comes yeah. back to your shut the fuck up principle you know? it's such a good principle it's my proudest moment stick with it man you gotta get shirts made <laughs> you gotta get some swag well man i uh it was good talking with you yeah and uh if you ever want to follow up or you want to talk about something else or i mean it doesn't even matter my line's always open reach out to me my scheduling is difficult just because i i'm in the construction world to work for myself so i might be at a job or something like that but as soon as i can i'll cut out time like i did this time awesome man i'll, I'll follow up with you soon but uh, appreciate it again hope your day goes well and uh and thanks again, man. I appreciate you, man. You're doing the you're doing the Lord's work. If somebody believes that that form of fashion, um, it's really helped me a lot, man. And I continue to listen. So, I mean, even if I get past my stage where it even comes out of ideation, I'll continue to listen. Just so I can hear this. Morning. I think I speak for both of us when I say, uh, let's keep listening and keep shutting the fuck up. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day, bro. You do the same, man. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Will in Virginia. Thanks, Will. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And a favor, if you listen on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It helps people find it. And I think there are people out there that need to find it. So thanks very much. I appreciate it. That is all for episode number 94. Stay strong, do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.